This is the FBCG Live podcast with Pastor John K. Jenkins, Sr. Today's message is titled, The Indicators of Repentance. When we repent, we change our lifestyle, our values, our relationships, and our attitudes change. Wherever you're joining us from, we pray this message encourages and empowers you in your daily walk with God. You can be seated. Open your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to read verses um, 9, 10, and 11. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says this, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrow, sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. I'm going to walk back through those in just a moment, but I want to talk about the indicators, the indicators of repentance. The indicate, can y'all say that? The indicators of repentance. I knew y'all wouldn't be excited about that word, repentance. If I had said the indicators of success or prosperity, y'all be jumping up, shouting, praising the Lord. Yeah, that's my word. Yeah. But I want to talk about repentance. I want to, and I want to take a look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. I want to take a journey back to the church in Corinth. Can we travel back to the days of the church of Corinth? And we want to sneak in the back of the church and watch the service. What's going on? The service is hot. The singing and shouting is rolling. The praise and worship is powerful. The gifts are in operation. Somebody's given a word of wisdom. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. Prophecy, discerning the spirit. Somebody spoke in tongues with an interpretation. I mean, it is a pumping, popping church. It's a great service, and we are impressed with how the spirit of God is moving in the midst of this church. But before we join the church, let's stick around and listen to the conversation that goes on after church is over. We can get a sense of that by looking at the concerns and the letter that Paul wrote to them in his first epistle to them, in his first letter to them. This, in our text here today, we're reading the second letter, but in the first letter, we, from the things that Paul addressed, we see there's a lot of stuff that's going on. First of all, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, there's division going on in the church. He has to address and tell them, get on the same page. In chapter 3, he says that y'all are still babes in Christ. He says to them, by this time, you ought to be eating eating meat, but you're still drinking milk. In chapter 3, there's envy and strife among the saints. In chapter 3, there's carnality. In chapter 5, there's sexual sins and incest going on. In chapter 5, there's 
Uh, nobody challenging people who we know are not living right. They are just winking in the eye, ignoring it. In chapter 6, they're taking each other to court. They're suing each other. In chapter 7, there are marital issues and sex issues in the church, divorce and remarriage. uh, Spouses are leaving each other in chapter 7. In chapter 8, they're being stumbling blocks to each other. In chapter 9, there's tension about what the pastors pay. In chapter 10, there's lust and idolatry. People are complaining. Chapter 11, they're questioning Paul's authority. In chapter 11, they're fighting at the communion table. They're arguing at the communion table. In chapter 12, they don't understand how the gifts are supposed to function and flow. So there's a debate about that. In chapter 13, they're speaking in tongues, but they ain't speaking to each other. In chapter 15, there's some doctrinal issues about the resurrection. In chapter 16, Paul has to give them some clarity about the offerings. It's a mess. It's a, the, the church of Corinth is an uh, uh, early First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. We have a little bit of all of this somewhere nestled in the, the corridors of our churches. It's a mess going on, challenges, problems, it's issues dysfunction. And Paul writes to them, and I'm, I, matter of fact, I'm shocked and amazed at what we hear that what's going on in church. And I guess many people are. It's why some people don't come to church, because they say the church is full of hypocrites. The problem I have with the Corinth church is that all this is going on and nobody feels bad about it. There's no tension. There's no, there's, there's no concern. They're, oh, yeah, they talk. They gossip. They slander. They spread the news. They hear stuff about each other. They talk about it. People are ungrateful, disobedient, unthankful, heady, high-minded, boastful. They meet all of those criteria. All of that's going on in the church when the reality is we ought to come here today because we know we are jacked-up jokers and we need help to be changed. We need to cleanse ourselves from our sins. We're guilty. We've missed the mark. The problem is we are sorry, but we are not sorry for our sin. We're sorry that we got caught. Go ahead and lean over to your neighbor and say, he's preaching already and he's still in his introduction. Go ahead, tell him. The truth of the matter is when we are truly sorry for our behavior, it should lead us to a place called repentance. When we repent, we change our lifestyles. You can't say that you repented, but you're still doing the same things that you've always done. When you repent, your values change, your relationships change, your attitudes change. When you repent, there, is, there ought to be some evidence that something has occurred in your life that you're no longer what you used to be. Some of us can testify that we can look back over our lives and see that we ain't the same jokers that we used to be. But it is, it is those who are still walking in the path that you've always walked in that I want to spend a few moments to talk to you about, talk to you. I want to challenge you today that God is calling us all to a place of repentance. 
What does repentance look like? First of all, when you repent, you, give, you, you confess to God and acknowledge your sin. When you, when you are repenting, you are, you are uh, repenting with specificity. Go ahead. This is what education do for you. <laughs> you make up words while you're preaching when you, when you get edu- educated. In other words, you don't say to God, if there's anything I've done, will you? No, no, you take the if out and you acknowledge, Lord, I did X, Y, and Z and I need to change. And I confess and acknowledge. It is, it is specificity. It is acknowledgement. It is a confession. You don't blame somebody else for what you've done. You take ownership for your own choices and behavior. Not only do you confess and take ownership, you forsake it. You hate it. You walk away from it. You confess and forsake. When you are repentant, you clean up your stuff. You sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around somebody else's. The church is full of people who are always trying to straighten somebody else out when you got junk in your own house. In, 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 this, in this second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul is highlighting the fact in the second letter, with all that junk that he spoke of in chapter one, in the first book to them, in the first epistle that he wrote to the Corinthian church, he's trying to tell them and highlight the fact. He said, look, look, look at verse number nine. He says, I rejoice not that you were made sorry. I wrote to you about all the junk y'all had going on in the past. He says in verse 10, he said, uh, uh, verse uh, uh, nine, he said, not that I'm rejoicing, now I rejoice, I'm sorry, verse nine, not that you were made sorry, sorry, but that your sorrow led you to repentance. He said, I'm glad that what I challenged you on, you changed. It led you to a place of repentance, but that, but, uh, but your sorrow led you to repentance. Verse 10, uh, verse nine, slow down. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Y'all see it says godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You, by you changing your life, by me challenging you in your behavior, you haven't lost anything. In fact, your life is better. When you repent and do the right thing, your life becomes better. Somebody on your road needs to repent for something in their life. Go ahead, look up and down the road and see if you can figure out who it is. God is calling us to a place of repentance. Matter of fact, let me say this. Repentance, y'all, are y'all with me? Have I lost y'all yet? Repentance is not a one-time act. Repentance is a lifestyle. Somebody say it's a lifestyle. The closer I get to God, the more I'm in the Word of God, the more I study, the more I develop my relationship with God, He's constantly showing me places and ways in my life that I need to make a change in. If you are satisfied with the way your life is, something is not quite right. 
God is always trying to make us better. If it's not your behavior, it's your attitude. If it's not your attitude, it's the things that you think about in your mind and what you dream about. It's your secret desires. Go on and preach, Pastor. I'm doing the best that I can. It's one thing after another. It's the words that come out of your mouth. It's the things that you daydream about. It's your secret desires and stuff that you want that you should not have any business warning. God is calling us to a lifestyle of repentance. He says in verse number 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. When you are godly sorrow, it leads you to deliverance. That's what the word salvation means. And not to be regretted. You won't be sorry that you gave it up. You won't regret that you made a change. The problem with some of y'all is you are sorry, you are mad, you're upset that you let some stuff go. Matter of fact, you want it back. You want to go back to the thing that God delivered you out of. You want to go back to Egypt. God brought you out of Egypt. God delivered you from your bondage. God delivered you from your, what you were enslaved to, and you've been free, but that devil has put something in your heart that makes you want to go back. But I'm here today to tell you that God will deliver you, and godly sorrow, godly sorrow leads you to make that change. The worldly sorrow, according to verse number 10, but the, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It leads you to a place of death. So let me take a moment and talk about, just for a moment, in the last three minutes that I have, the seven indicators that are right here in verse number 11 of repentance. Evaluate your own life against these seven things that Paul mentions that he saw in the church of Corinth. The church changed, they repented, and he noticed what they did, and he highlights what they did. What did they do? Verse 11, for observe this very thing, that you sorrowed, verse 11, in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you? There's the first one right there. Somebody say diligence. Look at your neighbor and say diligence. The word diligence means carefulness. You're careful. That, that, that you were cautious that you didn't go back down that road. It, it, let's see. Diligence means I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm careful not to go back down that road. In other words, if you know you got a drinking problem, you think about it and you give consideration before you go back into a bar. If y'all all say amen together, nobody know I'm talking about you. If you know what happens every time he comes over the house late at night, you don't take that call late at night. I feel tension in the room. Somebody said there's tension in the room. Diligent. When you are repentant, you take thought before you even get close to what it is that you know you struggle with. I know every time I go into the 7-Eleven, I cannot go down the aisle where the cupcakes are. I know not to go down that aisle because when I go down that aisle, the Twinkies start calling my name. 
Yoo-hoo. Pastor over here. I can't go down that aisle. You know what your issue is. You know what your challenges are. You know where you easily slip up and fail. Paul says, I noticed that y'all been diligent. You're cautious and careful about going down that road. Matter of fact, y'all, some of y'all have left, you haven't even started being diligent. Matter of fact, you have made plans. You set aside some cash. I can tell when I hit y'all, y'all get real quiet, y'all don't say nothing. But when y'all, when y'all, y'all ain't being convicted, yeah, pastor, go on, preach, pastor. But when I'm talking about y'all, y'all get real quiet. He says, what diligence it produced in you. He says, I noticed that you are cautious and careful, but he didn't stop there. He says right here, not only did it produce diligence in you, it says, what clearing of yourselves. Y'all see that in verse 11? What clearing of yourself? What does that mean? I'm glad you asked the question. It means that they were always taking care to make sure that they were able to give an answer for whatever decisions or choices that they made. In other words, if I can put it in this, this case, they were always prepared to defend their choices that they made sure that they didn't go back down the road that they know they shouldn't have gone down that road again. Some of y'all uh, have just abandoned being able to defend yourselves and you just accept it. You've, you've zoom, zoom this camera in right here real quick. Zoom in real quick. Zoom in real quick. Look, come, come faster, come faster, come faster. Some of y'all have accepted the fact of staying home uh, instead of coming to church. You go to the clubs, you go to the store, you go to the games, you go to the wherever you have to go, but you ain't quite ready to go to church. Even though the scripture says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't made a step to clear your name and be able to defend your actions. Why? Because you can't. Let me go on. The little, I got to hurry up. I'm already, look, verse, verse number 11. What indignation? There's number three, indignation. That means a strong displeasure for sin. See, the problem uh, is we don't, we're, we're not indignant about our sin. Matter of fact, we like it. We enjoy it. Look at your neighbor and say, you wanted it. That's why you did it. You wanted it. Look at the other side and say, you wanted it. You liked it. You enjoyed it. That's why you stayed there. That's why you haven't changed because you don't have a strong displeasure for it. That's what indignation means, that you have a hatred for sin. Until you learn to hate sin, you will always continue walking in the path of doing what it is you should not do. I like what Paul says in him. He says, I noticed that you were indignant about your sin. You were indignant about where you were. You hated what your behavior was. And he said, they, they made a change. What indignation. I'm glad y'all are with me here. He says right here at verse number 11, he goes on and says, what fear that you had. You were scared. You had the concern that one day you'd have to stand before God and the movie would play with you doing whatever it is you liked it to do. You had a concern. You were alarmed. 
Come on, y'all might as well tell the truth. If the movie were to play back at the, at before God of your behavior, how, how many of you would be able to have a, uh, an ability uh, to say, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of anything, but you know you got some stuff going on in your life. What? Here, here's number five, vehement desire, he says. He says, you have a, des- you have a strong desire to do right. Matter of fact, he, he put a, a, a word in front of desire. He says, your vehement desire, your strong desire, your longing to do right. You wanted to do right. You were passionate about doing right. That's an indication because you, you ain't just talking about doing right. You want to do right. You're excited about doing right. You want to be in the right place. You have a desire to live a life that's pleasing and acceptable to God. Not pleasing and acceptable to yourself, but pleasing and acceptable to God. Not pleasing and acceptable to your friends, not pleasing and acceptable to your family, but pleasing and acceptable to God. You want to do the right thing. Here's number six. I'm almost finished. I'm trying to hurry up. What zeal? That word zeal means you make a commitment. You ain't just talking about it. You made a you made a promise. You made a vow. You made a commitment to God, and said, "I'm committing to a cause or a person." That's what the word means. That I'm making a promise to God. And then it says this. Here's number seven. Here's signs. Here are the indicators of repentance. It's not only diligence, not only the clearing, a clear conscience, not only indignation, not only fear, not only a vehement desire, not only zeal, but here's what he says right here in the last part of verse 11. In all, th- th- in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. I like that right here. Uh, or what vindication? I'm sorry, I'm running ahead of myself. What vindication? The word vindication means retribution. It means that where you wronged somebody, you went and made it right. You know you stole that money. Repentance means I need to go and make it right. I know I did something that I hadn't, shouldn't have done that I need to somehow make it right. When you truly repent, you want to restore those who you've hurt. You want to make it right what you've done wrong. Now, let me go through these seven things again. Diligence, the clearing of your conscience, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge or retribution, vindication. The God that we're serving today will empower you and I to be able to live a lifestyle of repentance. I I didn't expect nobody to jump out in the aisle and cut a dance on this message right here. I didn't expect anybody to be excited. Matter of fact, I didn't even expect nobody to bring any money to the altar, but I think one person did. Nobody, I didn't expect any of that, but what I am expecting is some people here today who know they need a relationship with God and recognize they need to make a change for how they're living and doing different. Now, if you know there's something in your life that you need to repent, you need to have a different change attitude in your life, stand up. I want to pray for you. If you know that there's something in your life that you know God's not pleased with, some posture, some pattern, some behavior, some attitude, some some desire, something you ponder, and you you need to say, God, I want to repent. I want to change. 
I want to do differently. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Can I read verse 12 to you for just a moment? Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Let me, re, let me, can I reword it and put it in my words? I'm preaching to you. I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that my care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. That I might show you that I care enough about you to challenge you in your choices and your behaviors and the way you live your life. Let's pray. You've been listening to FBCG Live with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. When you are repentant, you take thought before you get close to what you're struggling with. Until you learn to hate sin, you will continue sinning. If you've been blessed by this message and would like to help us reach more people through this ministry, please click the link in the podcast description or visit our website, fbcglenarden.org slash give to donate. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you'll subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week.